Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture by The Spectator World. I'm Amber Athey, The Spectator World's Washington editor, and I'm joined by Terry Schilling, the president of the American Principles Project. Terry, thanks so much for joining us. I am really excited to talk about this topic because I was, you know, a three-sport athlete in high school. I played club sports in college. And one of the things I always remember from my club sports days in college was when I played field hockey, they actually allowed boys to be on the team, uh, which was pretty rare for a sport that's typically not considered co-ed. But we were only allowed to have two boys on the field at any given time because there was obviously this recognition that the men were faster, stronger, and just generally more athletic than the women, even if they had never played field hockey before. We would literally poach people who didn't make the club soccer team because we knew they could come over and play field hockey and automatically just dominate the competition. But now we have this swimmer at uh, University of Pennsylvania, an Ivy League school, that has just transitioned from male. And he has uh, he swam at the University of Pennsylvania for three years as a male athlete. Now he's tra- uh, transitioned to female and is dominating the competition on the women's swimming team. So can you give us a little bit more information on just how badly he's beating these other girls and um, how this has, has really dominated um, the NCAA conversation over the past couple of weeks? Absolutely. And thanks again for having me, Amber. This is um, always a interesting discussion. And it's actually one, something that I think doesn't get enough attention as it is. Uh, what's happening here is this guy, you're right, the, this guy, uh, Leah, uh, is destroying the competition. And it's not just, you know, barely winning these tournaments or these competitions. The, the, the big competition that he won just last weekend, he won by 14 seconds. Oh, and wow. Put that perspective, I mean, that's that's like 25% faster than all the other girls uh, it, it, to, to complete it. This is outrageous. It's unfair. And it's not just, I think a lot of times we think, oh, this guy comes in and then he gets the gold medal instead of the girl that actually deserves it. It's not just that. It's actually that by allowing this guy to compete in the women's division as a woman, he's keeping other women from even being able to compete right so like it's not just that another girl got second place or got a silver medal at least she got a medal there are other girls who aren't even being given the opportunity to compete and show what they've got and as someone a very proud third string defensive back for my high school football team um i know how important it is just to at least get the opportunity or get the chance to compete and 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 put it all on the field, right? And show everyone what you've got. And you know, I'm a guy, uh, and it is super competitive on the on the male end of things. But um, we're robbing our daughters of key opportunities, key moments to support their teams. And you know, I, Amber, you know this. We work through politics through American Principles Project to try and solve this problem, and as well as you know, not just campaigns and elections, but we also work through legislation. But in the meantime, before we can pass some legislation here, I really do think that we need women on these swim teams to step up and and do some, you know, commit some acts of civil disobedience, right? Like, you got to ask yourself, what would Susan B. Anthony do? What would the, the, the first wave feminists do? They would boycott this. They wouldn't compete in these sham tournaments. They wouldn't give them the, the, any credibility whatsoever. Um, I really think that something needs to happen with these female athletes where they do a walkout. 
or they do a sit-out, or they, they, they protest it in some meaningful way, and they don't let this continue to happen. That's the only way. That will do so much more, I think, to stop this movement nationwide, is if women start pulling out and protesting the tournaments and the contests entirely, if there's a male involved, I think that's going to move people a lot faster than it takes for me to win these campaigns and, and, and elections and then pass the legislation. Yeah, that's a great point, Terry. And I know there have been two swimmers from that UPenn team that have spoken out, but they've done so anonymously. And so it's pretty clear that this isn't really enough. And I mean, I, th- I think it's horrible that these women feel that they need to speak anonymously because they're so afraid of this backlash um, from the left if they were to come out publicly. In fact, one of the women who spoke out isn't even on the team anymore. She actually graduated from Penn already, um, but said she's worried about her career prospects if she says something. But I think at a certain point, you have to be able to have the courage to say, you know, whatever happens to me personally is worth it if I can save future women um, who have trained their whole lives for this moment and are having that opportunity robbed from them. And if I remember correctly, Terry, at the last CPAC, CPAC um, 2020, you had a young woman with you. I believe she was a basketball player. Correct me if I'm wrong. And she uh, went out on that stage and she talked about this phenomenon of men entering women's sports. And it, tell, well, tell us about who she was because I'm a, the details are slipping my mind. But I do remember her being there with you. And I, I think more women need to be able to have that courage like she did. So, uh, yeah, the, the female athlete, her name was Linnea Salt. She was actually a, a track and field athlete. She, That's right. she ran. Uh, she was very, very quick. And she started getting beaten in tournaments by another male. So the, we have like, you know, face of the victim, like right here telling her story. And the thing that stuck out to me about that conversation that I had with Linnea is she, I asked her, Where, if we don't put a stop to this, what do you think is going to happen to women's sports? And she said, if we don't stop this in five years, women are going to be watching their own athletic tournaments from the sidelines. And that, that really stuck with me. You know, I have uh, two daughters myself. I have a third on the way. Um, and I don't know if they're, you know, if, if the, the, the next two are going to be very athletic. My oldest is, is athletic. But to think about their athletic opportunities being robbed by another guy who, frankly, if you're a guy who has to join the women's league to compete and win, you're really not that great of an athlete. And it, it, look, this is just so unfair. And I think that the real problem with this whole, this isn't just women's sports, right? This is the whole transgender movement. And you just said something that enrages me, which is that these girls, these female athletes, these victims are unable to speak out publicly and attach their name. They have to speak anonymously. Why is that? It's because the transgender movement is a movement of bullies and they take advantage of people and they attack them. And, um, you know, it's really unfair to where these women are uh, uh, unable to even speak up and oppose the oppression that's being forced on them. Um, and and this, this absolutely has to change. So I, I think we've, this whole transgender fight, it's just built on lie upon lie upon lie, such as men can never actually transition to becoming women. They're always going to be uh, male, XY, and they're never going to be able to have a baby, for example. They're never going to be able to get pregnant. And on top of that, I think the more egregious lie, though, is that transgender people are victims of society bullying them and oppressing them. 
why is it then, if, if, if this is the case, right, if transgender people are such victims of society and they're oppressed every single day by the general public, then why is it that so many of them have public YouTube channels? Why is it that so many of them have public Twitter accounts with their actual names where they go in to actually work with people? It's not them who are afraid to speak out and represent themselves and be who they are. It's our people. It's the women that are being oppressed by these people. And I think that as a society, America needs to get back to our courageous roots. Um, you know, we need to get back to being the home of the brave and being willing to risk things to fight injustice, right? Like, I think that's the big thing that's missing from this women's sports battle is you, people have to understand that if you don't speak out, if, if you don't put your name behind these things, it's all going to go and be lost. I mean, like, you know, Americans have always put their names behind things. Our, our founding fathers, when they signed the Declaration of Independence, they pledged their lives and their sacred honor, right? They knew that the British were going to burn down their homes and, and, and castigate them and punish them and, and make examples of them. But they did it anyway because the future generations of Americans were more important than themselves. And I think that if I had any piece of advice to these female athletes, I know it's tough. I've had to do this type of stuff as well. I mean, I, look, I'm involved in this fight very publicly. It's not like I can ever go get a job at Verizon or Google or Facebook. <laughs> not that I would want one, you know, but I'm, I'm basically eliminated from ever getting that corporate cushy gig like so many of my friends have gotten. And, and God bless them for that. But embrace it, right? Like it's more, it's, it's about more than you. It's about more than just your personality. It's about, it's about the future and your daughters, Right? Like these women have at least had the opportunity to compete. In the future, women like my daughters will be forced to watch their sports from the sidelines. You're exactly right about how, you know, the way trans people talk about their oppression is so twisted because they have really made it sort of trendy publicly to be transgender. Um, I mean, if you go on like Gen Z TikTok, right, you see all of these content creators who have made up new flags for made up sexualities and and they all brag about being transgender. Abigail Schreier did a great job of illuminating this in her in her book, um, Irreconcilable Differences, about how entire friend groups will transition together because they think that it will help them get attention or help people pay attention to them. And if you question them, then all of a sudden you're the bigot. So you're right, it is totally backwards in terms of who is actually the marginalized or oppressed group here. Another facet of this sports conversation that really blows Amber, my Amber, mind. Can, I just inter can I just interrupt you real quick? I, yeah, I please, want to be please. clear about one thing is that I do believe that transgender people in, in a big way are actually victims. It's just not us that uh, we're not the ones that are oppressing them or victimizing them. They are being victimized by big pharma and the healthcare yes. industry in a major way. I mean, the, these people, first of all, there's been a lot of studies that have shown that suicide, suicidal tendencies and suicide attempts actually don't decrease after someone begins to take hormones or get the surgeries. They actually increase after they get that. And so you have to ask, you know, why are these surgeries and, and hormones being pushed on these people? Big pharma's making a lot of money off of the the, the, the pills and the, the hormone treatments. Uh, for example, uh, the company AbbVie uh, that makes the puberty-blocking drug, drug Lupron, they made $726 million in 2019 alone off of that drug. So then the question is, what are, what are they making off of the other drugs? Because some, uh, some of these drugs are $300 a month, 
which is a lot of money. <laughs> it's a car payment uh, for the rest of your life that you have to have that. But then also you look at some of these surgeries. They're twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars. One, uh, um, a phalloplasty. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about it, but it's sixty thousand dollars, right? So like. They are victims and they are being taken advantage of. Their misery is being capitalized on by these corporate global, you know, these global corporations. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And thank you for illuminating that because I think that's such a big part of it and why the mental health aspect of transgenderism isn't being addressed because, you know, going through therapy is not as costly as trying to change your entire biological makeup, right? And and so that's a really great point. And on you know the topic of these hormone blockers or um, some of these other pharmaceuticals that trans people are being prescribed, this um, pen swimmer Leah has only been on this um, testosterone blocker for I believe less than just at over a year, and that's the reason that she's able to compete is because the I should say he the reason he is able to compete is because the NCAA has this rule that as long as you have been on this hormone therapy for over a year, then you're able to compete as the opposite gender. And experts who study sports psychology, who, who study the biological difference between men and women are all saying, this is not even close to enough time. And who knows what the proper period of time would even be where the physical differences would be minute enough to even justify having trans individuals compete with with the opposite gender. But certainly it's not a year. I mean, a year is nothing when you have an entire lifetime of being a biological male. Well, the fact is, is that the biggest determinant in whether or not you're going to be, you're going to have a competitive advantage or an athletic advantage over your opponents is whether or not you went through puberty, right? Like testosterone leads to incredible amounts of muscle growth, of bone density, of height, of speed, of everything. I mean, it's it's like the ultimate performance-enhancing drug. In fact, that's what performance-enhancing drugs usually are made of, of some type of derivative of testosterone. And so it's basically this guy. You look at the numbers for how much more testosterone young men get like uh, produce during puberty versus women. And it's not even, it's like 50 or 60 times the amount of, of testosterone that women get. So like, that's ultimately the biggest problem here. Um, and then, you know, even when you get down that road, right. Uh, where, you know, let's say you were a, you're a kid and you had your puberty blocked. Should you be able to compete against women in sports then? Why are we, why are we blocking some kids natural body uh, reactions. I mean, why are we doing, why are we blocking a natural bodily process um, for children, by the way? Like, and the thing that no one talks about is the permanent sterility that's caused by these puberty blocking drugs. Um, you know, they, they say that it's all reversible, that if the child decides to, you know, revert back to his um, uh, birth gender or, you know, his biological gender, uh, that they can reverse it. No, they can't. Because at that point, now they're guessing how much testosterone your body would have produced. Your body, everyone's body's different. It produces the perfect amount of testosterone. Sometimes there's disorders. But for the vast majority of people, they produce the right amount of testosterone naturally. And it's much better to do that than to allow some doctor to make a guess as to what amount of testosterone your body would have produced. This is a total nightmare. It shouldn't even be happening. I'm sure there are laws on the books that just aren't being enforced right now that would, I mean, in reality, the fact that we're doing this to children 
really is a form of sexual abuse. I'm not, I'm not comparing it to rape or, or child molestation, but it is a form of sexual abuse to, to block someone's puberty, to alter their body, inject them with hormones, and chop off healthy body parts. You know, women can have totally healthy breasts removed at age 15 in most states. That is child abuse. That is that is a form of child, sexual child abuse. And America really should not allow it to happen any further. Yeah, it's absolutely horrific. And I, I don't know if you remember, there was this show on TLC um, that started maybe five years ago. I think even before these conversations about transgender people were part of the collective consciousness. And it was called I Am Jazz. And it was about this young boy who wanted to become a girl and his parents indulged you know, this sort of delusion and allowed this young boy to get the hormone therapy. And, and I'm not sure if he had other surgeries done, but there was some facial reconstruction and various other things um, to make him look like a girl. Well, I just watched the trailer for the latest season of this show. Apparently it's still on. And this now young girl, um, I believe 17 or 18, she's about to go to college is talking about how she suffers from major anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts. And I just thought to myself, well, no wonder. Like, you look at what you've done to this child, and you have harmed them irreparably, irreparably for the rest of their life. And, of course, the show doesn't ever consider that perhaps that type of childhood and that permanent scarring could have contributed to the mental health problems that this person now struggles with. And it just makes me really sad. No, it, it is very, very sad. And these, this is what I'm talking about when I say that they are victims. Because right. these, these hormones, these surgeries, they actually don't address the root problem. Which the root problem is, is that their mind is telling them that their body isn't good. And that they're not that they're born in the wrong body. And so, at the end of the day, no matter how many surgeries you get, no matter how many um, pills you pop or or hormones you inject, you are still going to know and feel like you were born in the wrong body. That's this is the big you know the, the big misconception here is that Republicans or conservatives hate transgender people. That's not true. I just have a different solution. I want them to feel comfortable in, the, in their own body. You know, if we were to compare this, for example, to anorexia, right? Uh, these are skinny girls in most of the time um, who believe that they're fat. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that they're not overweight. They are not fat. They are not obese and they're starving themselves and they're actually slowly killing themselves. And so why are we giving a different treatment to someone that believes that they're too skinny versus someone that believes that we're born in the wrong body? It seems to me that it's a pretty similar um, situation to where the mind is telling the body wrong things. And we should correct the mind, not the body. Uh, you know, it, it, look, if you if someone was to tell you, I really need a boob job in order to be happy with myself, you know, maybe that's true. You know, maybe if there was some real damage done to their body um, or something, they might need it, to, you know, to feel better about themselves. But it's not going to solve the underlying problem of feeling uncomfortable in your own body and in your own skin. And that's the root of the problem that we really need to address. All right. Thanks, Terry. President of APP American Principles Project. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Amber. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out more at spectatorworld.com. And if you'd like to listen to us, please check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are available.